as soon as I posted it, I mean, people who are social media managers know, or even content creators that, you know, when you post something in that first like five minutes, like you can kind of tell how it's going to go. And it just started to go very quickly. Um, and this account has like a solid amount of followers anyway. And obviously with the Harvard name, it's, um, it, it, you know, catches people's attention with it, but it was the response from it was just so wild. I couldn't screenshot and like send slacks to the team fast enough. Welcome to Making the Brand, the podcast where marketing and pop culture collide. I'm your host, Brianne Fleming. I can't wait to chat about brands, boy bands, and everything in between. Because brands who have a pulse on pop culture can create adoring fans of their own. I am shocked I've never brought anyone on to talk about this subject. The one and only Taylor Swift. And that's because where do we even begin? I've met so many Swifties. There are probably so many people in my circle that are qualified to talk about this. But today I am chatting with the one and only Nicole Tabak. Welcome. Hi. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to have you specifically as the elected Swifty to conquer this topic because not only are you a fan, but you had a viral moment from a brand. And I was like, this is this is perfect. You're my girl. So we're going to get into all of that. But thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. I appreciate it. I I really always love when I can, you know, combine, as you know very well, combine my fandom and my love of Taylor Swift with my work. So um, yeah, it's, it was a really fun harmony there. So yeah. I'm excited to talk about it. I can't wait to hear the story. But first, I want to start with a little bit of an icebreaker. So Taylor's going on her Eras tour. Some of us are going, some of us are not, um, <laughs> including me. We'll figure that out. Um, but I want to know, what is your favorite Taylor Swift era? Oh, so, I mean, I have I have so, so many. It's really hard to pick a favorite. I always say it's like a parent picking their favorite kid or something. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's so hard. Um, so the red era really has a deep connection with me. The red, I'd say red and speak now. I have to pick two, right? Um, so with with red, I first listened to that album when I was in college. I just left home. Um, I was commuting to be long distance with my then boyfriend, now husband. And I just like every time I listen to that album, I just am transported backwards in time to this like, you know, not knowing what was happening in my life kind of time. Um, and then and then with Speak Now too, um, that was before that, um, and I had actually been, I had started dating my my high school sweetheart, who is now my husband. Um, and we just had some songs from there that really reminded me of just like my youth and, and us falling in love and all of these things. So those two, just because of the pivotal points I was in life when they came out, like just feel like home to me. Yeah. I love when like her eras make you think of your own eras of life and how music can do that for us. So that's, that's so interesting. Yeah, um, definitely. And for me, I'm like the exact same age as Taylor. I'm, we're both 1989 Sagittarians. So like, I feel really aligned with her. Like in, like when she was 22, I'm like, I'm 22. I'm going to, I'm going to sing this off the red album and, you know, act like I'm her best friend. So, That's so, so yeah, fun. it's like, it's interesting to kind of grow up with her and kind of grow through with these eras ourselves. So. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. A lot of us have just, I think that that kind of questions the whole 
misconception of fandoms of just being like, you know, screaming tween girls. Cause it's like, well, we were once that, but now we've grown up and now we still love her. We still love this music. And, um, it's just really cool how we can grow with that. Yeah. Speaking of that, I mean, I, I don't know if it's on her radar, but I'm excited to see what her eras are like when she potentially gets married or when she potentially becomes a mother, like that's all going to be good. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. I've been saying for so many years that I'm like so excited until she's like at the point where like Carol King is in her career, you know, like mm -hmm. we're just like bopping around to all the oldies, quote unquote, yes. <laughs> and, and and just having a fun time. So I, I agree. I'm really excited to kind of see how, uh, how, how she grows and how that grows into her music, but also like how we all as a fandom grow into it. So yeah. there's, there's still a lot ahead. And I'm really excited for it. Yeah, maybe we'll get a 22 sequel. We'll get like 52 and 62. Oh and <laughs> Still singing along. I love it. Yeah. I love it. So I want to hear more about your era as a marketer. I know you've been working on some really cool things. I've seen some of your amazing articles that you've been contributing and doing some freelance writing. So tell us more about just who you are and your journey as a marketer. But I also want to get into more about your experience as a Taylor Swift fan. But first, the marketing stuff. <laughs> yes, I would say the Taylor Swift fan part is like the most important part of my resume. Um, but I guess I do other things as well. <laughs> I Yeah, so thank you for saying such nice things. Um, I really appreciate that. And I think um, so a little like a, a TLDR on me is that I'm a freelance writer and content strategist. Um, I went full time freelance. Uh, a little over a year ago, uh, last November, and it's just been so, such a wild ride this this first year of freelance. Um, I feel like people who have done freelance before might understand me when it feels just like that first year is just such training wheels and you're figuring out what you want to do in life. And I mean, who isn't? But <laughs> it really uh, make you question it even more. Um, so I've had some really fun experiences working with different startup brands, with different uh, education clients, lifestyle, e-commerce, just trying lots of different things, but all staying within social media and marketing and um, content creation. And on the side, I've, I've always had a passion for talking about content creators in terms of like their lifestyle and what it takes to actually be in this career. Because as someone who's been in this for over seven years, I had a lot of situations where early in my career, I didn't know that I could hold my boundaries or that I could stick up for myself or, or that certain feelings were valid. Um, and so I have a big passion for talking about uh, mental health and wellness for content creators specifically, because I would always be really annoyed when people would say, oh, just turn off your notifications, turn off your phone. It's totally fine. It's like, well, I make my living off of this. <laughs> I can't do that. Um, so I, I wrap all of that writing and, and interest in that um, into a newsletter that I do called Social Media Detox, which I've been doing for, oh my God, I think we're almost hitting two years on it, which is wild. Yeah. Um, and I, I've been able to do that sort of in my part-time alongside working with some different clients. Um, and of course, the fun part about all of this, going back to Taylor Swift, is that I am a very online person and really enjoy kind of bringing these different parts of my life together so that I can not only uh, work with clients and help them kind of further their brands, but also be able to write about it as a reporter and really investigate things. So um, it's a fun, fun little bag of things. Every day is different. <laughs> yeah. I, I think you do such a phenomenal job. Like every time I read your writing, it's not only helpful, but it feels personal. Like I feel like you relate to us first 
And you, you just have this ability to make people feel less alone with your writing, with your newsletter and with every piece that you contribute. Um, it's really special to see. So thank you for all of your writing so far. And everyone definitely subscribe to Social Media Detox. I will link to it. It is the best newsletter. It is like a hug in your inbox. And you know this nickname I love to have for you. It's I think of you as chicken soup for the content creator soul. Like it is just what every content creator needs. So everyone needs to go subscribe. <laughs> oh, you're so sweet. I always love you. You said that for for a while, and I really always love it. I like tell people that's how I how I how I like picture it now with people. I'm like, oh, I have I've heard from other people that they call it chicken soup for the content creator soul, but. Um, but yes, I really, really appreciate those, um, those kind notes and, and, and your support of it always just because, um, you know, one thing that I, I thought of when I started writing about this is that it's, it's very sensitive material. Like nobody just wants to like casually talk about their, you know, self-deprecating thoughts or imposter syndrome or stuff. So, um, I really want it to always come off as authentic and I know like self-help things can be very like woohoo and like, okay, let's, yeah, let's talk about affirmations, but um, I really, truly want it to be things that people feel honestly, and it doesn't feel like it's just like a, you know, happy go lucky post. Like we all go through things and I'm just trying to make people feel less alone and, and honestly rant about the things that I need to talk about <laughs> more often than not. If you see a newsletter of mine, it's cause I, I'm just going through something <laughs> need to hear it myself. I think about that too. There was one time I, I tweeted this out. I was like, the more I do my newsletter, the more it feels like my diary. <laughs> Just like my personal things or things I need to tell myself. Um, but it turns out we're not alone in those feelings. So if you can be a voice to help other people through those things who may also be going through something similar, then more power to you to use your, your platform in that way. I think it's amazing. Thank you. You're welcome. So <laughs> now I want to know the story of this Harvard Online tweet. First of all, they're one of your clients. I hear like, tell us the story. So just also give context for people. People don't even know what I'm talking about when I say this, but you had this awesome viral moment with one of your clients. So take us through how this went down before, during, and after this tweet too. Yeah. So it really was a wild moment. Um, so yes, Harvard, Harvard online, so which is Harvard's online classes and, um, they do partnerships with edX and get smarter, um, and different, different online organizations to offer up, um, free and paid online classes. Um, and they've been a client of mine for a little while. One of my, one of my, uh, best friends actually is, uh, works there and, and we've kind of um, worked together on different projects and really been good like brainstormers together throughout the years. And so um, I worked with her team on some social media stuff as as they were kind of changing over the team. Um, but also kind of like I had, I had said at the very start, I unfortunately or fortunately, I'm a very online person. So um, I often will see trends and things that kind of cross my timeline and um, whenever I see things like that, I'm always kind of trying to keep in mind, does this apply to any of my clients? Would this be a good idea for something? Um, is this inspiration that we can use in the future? If not actually doing it now, is this something we can learn from if it's negative? Um, and I'm always trying to pass them along to my clients to really just consult them and help them kind of understand the online ecosystem a little bit better. And so I was scrolling on, on Twitter it was the night that Midnight's was coming out. Um, it was just like a few hours before Midnight's, which is the new Taylor Swift album. Uh, everyone should go listen to it. Came out, um, and I had seen different brands talking about, you know, uh, our 
our brand offerings as Taylor Swift albums. It was like a little bit of a meme format where they would have like the picture of, you know, her debut album with like a picture of like the blue uh, Empire State Building because it was kind of the same colors. Um, and they just kind of played with it like in a in a way that was like not that serious. It was just kind of like throwing ideas out. And prior to this, I my clients know that I'm big Swifty um, and will always like throw out a wild idea just just to you know see if if it's entertaining. Um, and I had pitched an idea for an email campaign where I was saying you know let's um we know that we know the the titles the track titles off of her new album let's like blindly try and match them with courses from our catalog like without any context just because it's kind of funny right um and that we didn't end up doing that um which i think was was fine it was, it was literally just like throwing ideas at a wall but then when this came up i i knew that they were still excited by like the fun of that idea um we just didn't it just wasn't the right idea at the time so when i saw this i was like oh my god i think we need to do this and her album's coming out tonight like if we don't do this now, we are going to lose the moment. Um, and again, like I said, that my friend is is the person that works that I work with at Harvard. Um, I literally texted her at like ten thirty or something. I was like, "Are you still awake?" <laughs> and she was like, "Of course, yes." <laughs> and it's right, and we're not never sure if it's like friend stuff or work. And I was like, "I was like, so just a, here, here's a thing that other brands are doing, um, and I have an idea for this, but it's going to take me a little while to like fully brainstorm and put it together." Um, and she was like, okay, great. Like she has a little baby at home. So she was like, I'm, I'm probably going to sleep. And I was like, do you trust me? I, I just need to know, do you trust me? And she was like, yep. Yeah, I think I do. I think, you know, all your stuff here and I've seen the work you do. Like I, I trust entirely. Um, and I say this is so, so important because I think so often when we talk about like the social media manager relationship with brands, it really just goes back to trust. Um, because there are so many of these moments where, you have to act quickly or you have to understand internet culture in a way. And it it is kind of at the same time, like a jump into the dark. It could have gone totally poorly. And then I would have to be issuing apologies <laughs> for the next week. Um, and especially when you're working with like a massive fandom like Swifties or, you know, even I BTS army or things like that. Like these people in the fandoms know it so well that it has to really come off as fun and authentic and not as just something that's like totally gimmicky. Um, and I felt like I, with both my fandom and with my marketing uh, expertise and knowledge, like was able to kind of pull in parts of the brand in a way that wasn't just as like gimmicky with it, but also like still gimmicky in a way that's like a meme, like fun. Um, and so I, I literally toyed with it for like an hour. She had already gone to sleep at that point. Um, at one point I even like lost my draft and I had to like, I was like, should I just stop doing this? It's a sign that I shouldn't do it. But I was like, no, no, no. I went back and I, I rewrote the whole thing and I wrote it as a thread of different albums with different courses related from Harvard online. Um, they're related with different eras with different of, of her albums. Um, and as soon as I posted it, I mean, people who are social media managers know, or even content creators that, you know, when you post something in that first like five minutes, like you can kind of tell how it's going to go. And it just started to go very quickly. Um, and this account has like a solid amount of followers anyway. And obviously with the Harvard name, it's, um, it, it, you know, catches people's attention with it, but it was the response from it was just so wild. I couldn't screenshot and like send slacks to the team fast enough because it was just like constantly, constantly updating. Um, and the the uh, most of the response back from it 
was very positive. Um, obviously, with anything that goes viral, you're going to have negativity. Um, but most of the ones that were negative were also just like a almost like rolling your eyes at your parents sort of thing. <laughs> like, like, oh, I don't know if this is cringy or if this is fun, um, which I honestly find that like with viral tweets, sometimes that's the line you have to cross. Like it, it might be cringy if you're looking at it in a way, but also like I might laugh. Um, so I, we took that chance and uh, it, it paid off for us like so much. We ended up having, um, it, it was really hard to tie it necessarily to revenue. I mean, any of these sorts of viral things, um, it's more so for word of mouth and for attention um, towards the accounts. But we, we did grow, um, I believe it was in the first like 24 hours, we, we gained like 3000 followers overnight. Um, we had massive engagement on the tweet. We had um, uh, higher website traffic to all of our different course pages. Um, we didn't see a huge bump in necessarily like registrations. Um, those, so there were some people that audited our free courses, which is like always a good thing for us. So in terms of like the ROI, um, it's I would say it's still paying off because we have now kind of tapped into an audience of learners and people that we really want to attract, um, which are, you know, sort of that that younger demographic, that global reach of her her fan base. Um, and I think what really honed in on it, and I saw a lot of tweets about this in response, were that like people could tell that they're they're now like Swifties running the account. Um, and people that are like have their ear to all of these sorts of trends and things that are happening. So it was just a really fun moment. And also as a freelancer, I would say like, I really try hard to make sure that my clients feel like they're getting value. And I think they really felt supported in that moment. And um, it was great because I felt I felt supported and that they trusted me to run with something that I thought was a really good idea and could see working out. And it, it proved to work out. And now we just have a much stronger relationship for that. So um, we just, we, I, they keep, we keep saying like, what's, what's our next Taylor Swift moment? So. <laughs> <laughs> well, it all started with that trust. I'm so glad you hit on that. Cause I mean, even, even kind of in the late hours of the night, unsupervised, if you want to call it that, like you just were given the freedom to run with it. And I love that even your friend didn't have to, you know, make it go up the ladder and get more approvals. Like they just trusted you and it worked because with those pop culture moments like that, there really isn't a lot of time. And what I also love about it, and I think I said this when I retweeted it, I was like, I actually want to take these courses now. Like They were interesting. And I, I definitely think you succeeded in, in piquing people's interests in a really genuine way that wasn't just like, oh, let's be in on the moment. Like I actually thought twice. I was like, huh, <laughs> good to know that Harvard Online exists. I didn't really know that before this, but now it's always going to be in the back of my mind that, huh, they have an online program that's probably very flexible and with courses that I would potentially like. So I think it was a, a slam dunk, even if it didn't have an immediate return. I think you're on the radar of clearly 3,000 more people at least, <laughs> um, which is yeah. really awesome. No, I appreciate that. I think um, you you hit on a really good point with it, which is that like, you know, our the main goal here, at least from when I was talking to the client is, you know, to have this relevancy, to have this sort of um, the difference between us and and specifically for any sort of organization that's an online education platform, like you are at such a pivotal, you're in such a pivotal position to be able to speak to people where they are and in, in, all around the world and the different issues that they have to 
um, confront from their different parts of the world. So I think that's one other thing that's talked about a lot in our courses of, of making sure that it's, it's timely and relevant and not just, you know, um, not that there's anything wrong with like education for education's sake, but like it, there are practical uses for people in the real day. Um, and I think that's just sort of what ties it into us, like wanting to jump on cultural moments. Um, and it's not for everyone. Um, I think that's, that's the other thing I'd, I'd point out from it is that, um, there are so many moments that I see every day that I'm like, this is a really fun brand moment. This is something for Sour Patch Kids to jump on, but this is not something for us. Uh, so I think that's also then how you um, start to to grow that trust as well with your clients um, by really just making sure that it's not just like we're jumping on every fun thing that's trending. It's you know really purposeful and intentional. Yeah, and from the outside looking in, I mean, this is Harvard. This is yeah. <laughs> like the <laughs> most probably prestigious university that I can think of off the top of my head. Like, and they're having fun with this. So, was there a moment that? you know, did it cross your mind thinking like this isn't appropriate for Harvard, that maybe this seems, I don't know, juvenile or <laughs> just not right for a brand that has such prestige? Like, what was that process like? Did that cross your mind at all? It it did. And it crosses my mind a lot because we often will look to, so Harvard itself, Harvard University has its own um, standard accounts, you know, for the whole university. And then obviously different departments have their own. Um, and I have a lot of friends that work for different different universities or things like that. And, and there's always the different voices across the university, right? I mean, you yourself work for one brand, right? So um, it, it's, it's definitely like, uh, a push pull of what is the the overall voice and what is the voice of each different sub brand from that. Um, and because of that, I think that's where my mind goes to the, like the really fun parts about Harvard online versus Harvard university. Um, and that's not to do any day. Like I think Harvard, Harvard's general accounts are incredible. Um, and they really showcase kind of exactly what you think about Harvard, you know, that prestigious university, the the campus experience, this like New England feel that we have here. Um, and it's really fun and beautiful. But I think one of the things we've talked about with Harvard Online is that, you know, we don't have necessarily that visual representation of what we are. We are what our learners make us. We are what the audience decides that we look like in their brains. You know, I, I'm always saying like, we don't have a physical campus, but you are in your campus as soon as you're, you know, going on to our online platforms. And when you're going onto our social media, it should feel like that as well, that our learners are creating that experience with us. And because of that, I think like we're in a very lovely position to have a lot of fun um, with what we do um, because we don't really, I mean, we take our, we take our education very seriously, but we're okay to kind of have fun with the experience because we want people to feel like they are accepted and they are welcomed and that it's something that every single person could go on and do. Um, and I think that's like the really fun part of being able to do something like this Taylor Swift tweet was just being able to show people how we are relatable. You know, we are in, in the thick of it with them. Like we are doing the same things as them um, because we're, you know, we're made up of, of a diverse group of people as well that have different interests. So I think that I, it's definitely like a, a point that's always in my mind is, you know, how far do we want to push this? Um, which is, which is why I said also, like there are certain trends that I think are hilarious. Like 
Lyft just recently did one with like the or Pete Davidson will. Oh um, yeah. <laughs> to, <laughs> which which I thought was very funny. Um, but I like literally sent it to my my group at Harvard online and I was like, this is an example of something that I think is like really funny and good that they're doing, but I don't think we need to touch. Like this is not yeah. for us, mm-hmm. but I want you to be aware of it so yeah. that we can like start to look at and analyze the brand responses and stuff. But I was like, not for us, but yeah. just it's still fun. Yeah. Um, you so, yeah. like have those buckets that like, you know, for us, not for us and, yeah. and kind of drawing where that line is. And I think it's so fascinating what you said about Harvard Online, you know, not having that culture that people get on the campus. So you have to kind of create your culture online and, and participate in the memes and be in the trending topics. I think it makes so much sense now that you put it that way. So that is just brilliant. So you kind of touched on this, you know, brands like Sour Patch Kids, they, you know, are known for having fun. There's also, <laughs> I know the people behind Annie Ann's, they're huge Swifties yes. and have had some really great. Uh, moments with that. So what are your thoughts on brands of all kinds just kind of jumping on Taylor Swift trends? Does it make sense? Can it work for any brand? How do we, how do they approach this and decide if it's for them? It's a really good question. And I think like I may be biased because like you said, we sort of know that there are some like Swifty run brands and things. And um, so whenever I see their posts, I'm always like, oh yeah, this is awesome. Um, So I try and put my neutral hat on when I I (laughs) see them. Um, But I think like it's definitely, I would say, I would say it's not for everyone. First of all, I, I don't think that there is a blanket that says, you know, um, every single brand should participate in this or should participate in that. I also, as especially as, as a freelancer, I'm not uh, naive enough to say that like I know better than every social media manager across their brand. I think at, as someone who has sort of been both in-house and on the, the consulting side, I would say it's really, you know, having those conversations with your team to set you up for the understanding of what you should do in these viral moments. Um, and and with Taylor. Um, so, you know, just to give an example, sort of from like the Harvard world of things, um, I people the people there know very well that I'm like a Swifty. Like I will, you know, be commenting in their Slack channels doing fun things like this. They know that I love pop culture and all of that. Um, and so it kind of just flows very naturally. And we've had so many conversations and we still are about how our tone and voice is shaped across social media. Um I always love the example of like the, if your brand was a person, like what would they wear? What would they listen to? And what would they eat? All of those sorts of things. Um, So I try and really, I would say like, it's very important to really figure out what is important to your brand and integral to your mission and to your goals. And then from there, it's the point of, does this viral moment fit in with all of that? Am I allowed to have the fun of this viral moment without necessarily capitalizing on it? Because I think the reason why I say like, I don't think every brand should be in it is because I've seen some examples of, you know, for example, like a B2B brand, like a very corporate, very LinkedIn based brand um, that would jump on something like the, our products as Taylor Swift albums and things. But if your audience doesn't even know who Taylor Swift is, doesn't even know like anything about this pop culture, um, I think not only is it like diluting your brand, but it also is sort of kind of uh, earning some distrust within your audience because now they kind of feel like there's this idea coming from left field. They feel like, you know, they don't necessarily know what your content might be going forward. Um, it just kind of poses, I think, more questions than than answers and help. 
And I think that's why not every brand should be doing it and not every brand will necessarily find the same success off of it. Um, unfortunately, virality is not a thing that you can guarantee. Like I had said at the very start, I could have posted that that Twitter thread from Harvard Online and it may have gone nowhere and I had to be fully prepared for that. I've written so many Twitter threads that go nowhere. Um, but I think in general, like Taylor is a really fun artist to be able to play with because she has so many fans. But because of that, you also have to be very careful about not doing it, you know, disingenuously or making sure that, you know, you are very authentic with it. And it makes sense for your brand because if it goes wrong, the fandoms will find it <laughs> and talk. And I think yeah. it's just, it really has to be strategic. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of it is just trial and error. Like, yeah, mm. if it went wrong, that's a, a whole other story. If like it offended all of her fans or if they were upset about it. But if it just like flopped, like no one saw it, like, that's okay. Then you then you learn. There's so much to this that's trial and error and experimenting and there will be flops. So I, I love that you hit on this. Something mm -hmm. that's interesting to me is I feel like more than any pop culture figure I've seen, Taylor Swift just kind of like transcends all the categories, all the different audiences. Like I've seen NFL teams uh, back when Folklore came out do like their own like track listings and you know, and yeah. it's it's NFL fans and just things that really have surprised me to see certain brands use her uh, as an inspiration for content. So do you think there's something about her as a person that makes her appealing for brands or makes them feel safe and comfortable aligning with her? Yeah, I think so. There's so many there's a few parts here that I want to touch on. Yeah. One, we, you know, we talked about at the very start of this, like that she has so many of these eras, right? And throughout all of the eras, she has redesigned herself so many different times. She started as a country singer, went on to pop, went on to, you know, had like some, some dubstep moments, had some rock moments, you know, um, some of the goth moments with reputation, went to sort of singer songwriter, um, folk music with, you know, folklore and evermore. Um, she's just had so many different genres and different approaches to her music and styles and everything that I think there are so many people that have jumped in at different times because it's resonated with a certain part of their story. Um, and I think that's what kind of makes her so universal and why people kind of can, can jump in. Um, but the second part of this is that I think also she has, has branded herself sort of as that, like good girl mentality for a very long time for at least the the first part of her career you know she was always kind of um in those different groups and she didn't swear on her albums for a while and um it was always kind of like how edgy is she gonna get um and so for a while i think brands really saw her as sort of like the safe option um she wasn't gonna necessarily just like go off the rails and do a thing um without without approvals or anything so that definitely helped to that advantage but i think now that she's sort of addressed that. Um, she's had her Miss Americana film where she talks a lot about how um, the pressure of having that that burden of being the good girl had been on her. Um, and I think people really appreciate that she's just like open and honest and having sort of this relatable experience to a lot of people. Um, and I think that's something that sometimes we lose a lot with artists. And I know a lot of people will say that that's maybe manufactured. Um, but if, you know, it's a good job that she's doing of it to make it seem like, you know, she is just like us. She is uh, feeling the same experiences. She's feeling the same, like, you know, 
going through your your late 20s, early 30s sort of transitional periods and stuff. Um, and so I think to that regard, like she speaks to a lot of fans experiences of that demographic that so many brands want to capture. Um, and because of that, I think it's just it feels like a natural brand extension if if you can if you can get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, she it, there's there's no doubt that throughout her career, there's been so many headlines about her. Like there's been so many things that she's been wrapped up in and kind of the center of all these different narratives and this drama, but she's never like, it's hard to put my finger on, but she's, she's wrapped up in all of this, but it's never been in like a negative way. Like she's, she's never been kind of the celebrity that you see as, as in the wrong, in my opinion, maybe that's because I love her, but like, <laughs> I know she writes songs about people, but a lot of times they deserve it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's her wrong. Like she's just, she's, I feel like she leads with integrity with her music and with her art and with every move that she makes with like standing up for artists. And like, I think she is just so genuine and really at her core, like a very good person. So even though she is in the headlines and there's always this firestorm with things that she's doing, it's still like in a positive way in my yeah. opinion. So yeah. yeah, I guess there's something about that where it's brands are feeling safe connecting their, their company with her. So yeah, definitely. So what stands out to you over the years as some of her most brilliant marketing moves? Taylor has done the Easter eggs for a while. I know with, with her latest album, she's kind of like been more direct and has made it a yeah. point to not do Easter eggs this one time. But there's just been so many creative ways that she's promoted her music and her albums. So what are some things that stand out to you about her album um, promos and things? Yeah, I mean, there are so many that she's done. And I do think to that to that extent, like people know her for her Easter eggs. And I think she has started to realize that like, you know, at, at some point you've dug yourself in a little bit too deep there. <laughs> um I know there have been like a lot of different ones for this new album. Um, but one of the things that I actually thought always that was really brilliant. Um, so for her first first few albums, uh, she used to do um, these things called secret sessions uh, with with like the, the very close fans, like very, very dedicated, usually people that she found on Tumblr, her team had scouted people that had kind of been known. Um, those were like, and the reason why I, I like those so much is because they really speak to like a very pivotal moment in sort of our society like she doesn't do them anymore um because there were some really negative experiences that had happened to her people were basically these these secret sessions people would go fans would go and they would go to either a location or a lot of times to like her house or her apartment in that major city um and get to listen to the new album ahead of the rest of the public release um and it was like a very like a small group of people she would like sometimes bake cookies and things and people would like be you know freaking out over these secret sessions and these invites um and i think they were really cool because uh you know people were actually able this is sort of before like you know iphone social media everything like i mean they they existed but it was it was before everything had been sort of viralized and everyone felt like they had to record at all times for you know posting on tiktok or things like that um and it was just this beautiful moment where people were able to like have those one-on-one -on -one experiences with her in this moment that was so exciting for her. Um, and they went wrong because people started, you know, stealing things from her house or, you know, taking photos of things that were confidential or stuff. Um, but I just think that they still are one of my favorite marketing moments because 
I think it like shows really how you can lean into your community and to sort of like your your most dedicated people to not only get feedback and and find out sort of what what you should be doing next, but also to just sort of get excitement over this next new thing. Um, and I think so often we kind of throw ourselves into sort of like an announcement or an album release or something like that and forget about the people that are affected behind it. Um, and so it was just a really fun moment for her to really lean into that community and and showcase that, you know, um, there's more to it than just that. And like the fact that she was so big at that time still um, and was allowing people to like come into her house to listen to her album. Like it's very grounding. And I think that's, again, goes back to why Taylor is so special is like, she is so relatable and so down to earth. Um, mm-hmm. I can't imagine like, you know, I don't know any other art like Lady Gaga doing that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My crib. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I think what is also notable about that is that's such a small scale promotional effort. You know, it's usually with promoting something, it's like get as many eyeballs on this as possible, the more the better. But she saw value in kind of these intimate moments, not necessarily with the most fans, but with her most dedicated fans and starting kind of with those true loyalists, those Swifties that I'm surprised they're stealing from her. You would think if they loved her, they I wouldn't know. be stealing. Maybe they wanted like a lock of her hair or something. And like <laughs> it's, it's coming from a place of love, but <laughs> I think it was, I think it was soaps from the bathroom actually was oh, okay. the, what people, which like, I guess I heard at one point she like started putting out extra soaps for people to actually take as people were taking <laughs> the real soap. I probably would have just like noted it in my phone and like yeah. maybe bought the same soap later. Yeah. But that's just me. But I don't know. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. I don't know what I would do in that moment. I mean, I've I've done crazy things just when, <laughs> you know, you're starstruck and yeah. Yeah. You never know how you would act in those moments, I guess. You but never, I never know what I would say. Yeah. I never know. <laughs> like freeze. words just go away. Yes, exactly. Um, and I love that you also brought up that she was like finding fans on Tumblr. Like it it seems like she's always kind of had eyes on her community and the things that they're saying and has even been known to like repost things or to like certain things. Like she sees everything. So that leads me to my next question. How involved do you think she is in her own brand, her own image, how things are promoted? Um, Because I kind of think she's steering the ship, but I'm sure it takes an army with all of this. So what do you think her role is? Yeah, I think she's very involved. Um, I think exactly like you said, you know, she'll people on TikTok will be freaking out because they're like, oh, Taylor liked this post, Taylor liked this comment, or, you know, she did all this stuff. Um, So it's really exciting to kind of see how she's used social media in that regard. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm sure that she has a social media team. I know someone who used to sort of work on a, a marketing team with her and, and advise on social media. So I know that she has some folks that are, are doing that in, um, 13 management, which is, is her management company. Um, but she, I guess that's, that's another thing to point in on is that she has brought a lot of things in house. So she runs her own management company. You know, she kind of knows the people that she brings in. I think she's very particular about, who they are and and is very nervous about getting people too close to her, which we saw from sort of uh, maybe jumping up at like the Ticketmaster debacle of everything yeah. of of letting people in from the outside. And so I think because of that, she has a lot of control over over what people what people she hires, what people she brings into her world. Um, and I know she like artistic uh, directs a lot of her music videos and and album photo shoots and things. So. 
I think she has a lot of hands on the wheel. Um, but I imagine that she has a lot of people that she has put into place that she trusts a lot to make sure that like once it, even if the final decision is, you know, her decision, once it gets to that point, it's kind of been carefully vetted in the way that she would kind of think possible. So, which I think is, is brilliant. I think that's right. That's how things work. So so swiftly, swiftly ah. <laughs> and cleanly. Yeah. I'll pretend like I meant to do that. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. I, I, I love seeing this happen with artists. I mean, we see it with Taylor, but I think about other artists who very early on in their career, they didn't have a lot of control. It was always like what the label wanted to do or the image that they wanted to portray. I think of, you know, Christina Aguilera, Jessica Simpson, Pink, all these artists who were individuals, but they were kind of manufactured. I would even put maybe Mandy Moore in there too. Um, yeah. Manufactured to like try to be our Britney, you know, this label yeah. Britney. And all these years later, they've kind of paved their own path and have started to show more of their true selves, their own music, their own uh, kind of angle that they want to take with their with their brand. So it's really wonderful to see these artists kind of gain their independence once they have some power. <laughs> I wish they had this power earlier on and maybe that's a change that is happening and can be felt. But I think more artists than not, like very early on, they're told what to do. This is the way it is. This is what's going to make money. But once she's on top, she's been able to take some of that control back. So it's been awesome to see. Yeah. And I think that's a massive thing that's also been driven by a lot of fans. I mean, I can speak on it for the Swifty fandom, but um, you know, people love that relatability. They love that honesty and that that authenticity that comes through with each person. I think, you know, you're you're maybe more the expert on it than I am, but with the the Britney situation, the free Britney or everything, like everyone was kind of wanting to, her to be herself and and to show her true happiness. Um, and so I think like that's something that that fans can tell. They can tell when things are like really forced and artificial. Um, and I think it's a really, it's a really good advancement of the industry if that's where it's going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the more I think about it too, it's like, okay, Taylor was 17 at the time and Britney was 17 at the time. Yeah. It's like, how involved can they be when, <laughs> when they don't have this experience? So it's almost like they're getting that experience and growing up and then able to, to take over. So as much Definitely. as now that I think about it, like I wish it they had that liberty earlier. It's probably harder just just because of their inexperience, you know. So yeah. maybe it's something that also comes with time. Yeah, so, and I'm oh yeah, I'm curious. Sorry, just to add on. I, yeah. I mean, I'm curious, kind of, because I completely agree. I mean, how how would you know at 17 that you are allowed to do certain things? But I think it's really interesting to see then, like the new saga of stars, like Billie Eilish coming up, and and. Yeah. Um, Tate McRae, all of those people that are, they are the young ones now. They are living through it. And, you know, how are they going to kind of advance the industry as well? So it's all really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and they're, they're coming to the table with audiences that they've built themselves. Yeah. It's almost like, okay, I have this audience in the palm of my hand. I have, <laughs> I have some power here too. So yeah, what an interesting shift to see. So you touched on this, just the power of Swifties and who they are as a community and just fandoms in general. So I would love to learn what are some things that we can learn about community from Swifties specifically? Yeah, I think that I don't know if necessarily Swifties versus fandom in general are, are too unique. I mean, obviously, there's the different nuances of each fandom, but um, 
for an example, you know, I used to be a lot into Broadway fandom as well. I still am as as a as a fan, but I think there's a lot of similarities between, you know, how how the community is able to shape sort of the feedback that the artists get and really fuel their success. Um, and so I think that brands, as you know, trying to figure out their community, um, a lot of people kind of just rush, like I had said before, rush sort of towards the next product decision, rush, rush towards the next announcement, rush towards their next, you know, update that they're going to make. And often don't necessarily take the time to factor in what it would look like if they included their community into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that what we've learned from Swifties and and different pop fandoms and things like that in general is that a lot of fans will have and a lot of community members will have opinions if you ask them. Um, and if you invite them in in a way that is uh, conducive to shaping those opinions and sharing them. So I think one of the things that that Swifties do really well is, you know, we, we've mobilized on social media. Um, like we talked about, Taylor herself was on Tumblr. She was on TikTok. Um, and people are just, you know, openly sharing their opinions without necessarily thinking that it's going to get to them. But it might, it you know, it very well might. Um, and they're not afraid to sort of share how they think about new things. They are not afraid to share how things are happening in real time. Um, we, I think we saw that a lot with the Iris towards Wackle um, when people weren't getting tickets through the pre-sales and, and stuff, you know, people were posting videos immediately, but then also posting their thoughts later on about, you know, okay, now the dust has settled. I'm not upset at Taylor. I'm not upset at ticket. Like these, you know, this is sort of how I'm feeling. Um, but people aren't afraid to share that real, real time feedback. Um, and I think brands could really do well with letting their community have those outlets that they can kind of express themselves in a way that doesn't necessarily, require like a survey or a long focus group or things, just being able to provide them with avenues for them to voice their opinion as they're coming up with it um, makes it really, really nice and seamless. And I think more brands could be doing things like that. I agree. I think it might seem overwhelming for brands to kind of open the floodgates and and consider all these different opinions. And there's never like one right answer or one clear path, but a lot of times they can save themselves a lot of headaches by just listening a little bit more. I know one thing that came up was with the Capital One presale. Why why was it that we weren't forced to qualify and prove that we have a Capital One card before we are put in the queue? And like that was just like common sense things sometimes. Like they really could have saved themselves a lot of that uh, backlash. I know it's easier said than done, but I've I've always thought that like every marketing problem brands ever face, like we're we're like in uh, boardrooms trying to brainstorm and think about how to fix this or do this or what we should do next. And a, a lot of times the answers are right under our noses if we were to look and we were to ask. So yeah, for sure. And I think that um, alongside that, um, I was thinking about you know when you're talking about the the Capital One presale of things like. One thing that I really admired with Taylor and and in a lot of situations is that Taylor is very transparent with how situations are being addressed. So when the Ticketmaster situation was happening and people were really upset, um, she was obviously silent for a little bit. And I think we we as a community could do a little bit better to realize that there are like a lot of a lot of very expensive and important levers at hand, um, and people cannot just like go on their Twitter and tweet out like you know whatever their thoughts are. Um, so, but she did come out afterwards and said, she, she said how, um, you know, she was very concerned about how it had gone. She feels very bad. She's going to try and find different avenues for people to find her tickets and, and get to see her. And 
sure, a lot of that could be a PR message and, you know, you can choose to believe what you want to believe with it. But I do think that from, from being on the brand side, I saw a very transparent action oriented message of here's what went wrong. I'm not going to tell you that it doesn't suck. Like I'm not going to diminish your pain and your frustration. Um, but here's what we're going to try and do about it because that's really all you can do as a brand is try and mitigate situations that don't go the way you think they do. So um, whether or not it's a crisis response or not, I think just having that transparency with your community just goes beyond any individual situation. Just having that as a, a mission and a goal every single time that you're going out to your audience of you know, trusting them to know how it works or to ask questions or not be afraid to answer those questions um, yeah. just goes the extra mile. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, with the pandemic and everything, she didn't go on sale for like, I mean, on tour for like <laughs> two years. So I know. <laughs> things were bound to go wrong. It's okay. I'm just myself included. I did not get a ticket, but maybe I have to go through with some of the, the resales. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. So. I know I, I, I hesitate to say that I do have tickets, um, but it was very hard. And I did have tickets to Loverfest, which was the, can the concert that she was supposed to have before the pandemic that then got rescheduled and then canceled. And I had said the whole time, I was like, can I just hold on to these tickets? Like I will always want Taylor Swift tickets in the future. I don't, I've forgotten about that money. Like I just, I don't need the refund. I just want the tickets. I know. <laughs> and I'm such a lover girly. I think that's my favorite um, era. I would have been extra sad, but I did see great. her. I went to Jingle Ball in 2019 oh, wow. uh, at Madison Square Garden. It was her 30th birthday and she that's sang so lover and um, Christmas tree farm. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. So it was a good time. Oh, such so, a good Christmas song. <laughs> it is. I haven't listened to it this season yet, so maybe I need to uh really on it was the first it was the first song we put on when we uh put up our tree this year. Followed followed obviously by Queen Where I Carry, but like yes. You know, and a... second most obvious is the Backstreet Boys new Christmas album. Came out, so. I, okay, that's what's going to be on after this. I'm okay, going to put it on. We both have homework. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> perfect. Nicole, this has been so great. I am so glad I brought you on. I think this was such a big topic, but I think you did tailor justice. I thought you brought up some really thought-provoking things. And yeah, I'm interested to see what Taylor does next as always, but especially with how the Eras tour went down. I think she's, I don't know. I think she's she's got some things up her sleeves. I think now she's feeling like, ugh, you know how protective she is of her fans. I think she probably yes. feels a little indebted to us. So I'm hoping there's more to come. So we'll see. <laughs> I hope so too. I mean, I am, I am always here for it more. I don't know, Netflix films, more albums, more whatever. I'm, I'm down for the ride. I'm, I'm a for lifer. So, but thank you for having me on. This is so much fun. If you're a fan of this podcast, be sure to subscribe or better yet, leave a review for marketing wisdom with a pop culture twist sent straight to your inbox. Sign up for my newsletter at briannefleming.com slash newsletter or find me on Twitter at Brianne2K. As always, thanks for listening. <laughs>